0: It is a joy just to see you guys enjoying each other in the morning. I'm really glad that you're all here with us this morning. Certainly, always particularly appreciate those of you that may be here for the first or second time. You're coming to check us out for whatever reason you're here. We're really glad that you're all here. Um, We are in a continuing Bible study in the book of 1 Corinthians. And so if you want to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, we're in chapter 14. We'll get to that in just a second. While you're doing that... Um, I mean, what is it that you usually do while you're waiting for somebody to do something else? You do social media. That's what you do. Um, I've recently had a a list of doctor's appointments, so you know how that goes. You sit in the doctor's office, I mean, you're glad you got your phone. you you got to wait forever in those things. And so let me share with you my social media guilty pleasure when I go and I'm sitting in offices where I'm just wasting time more than I probably should. I'm a sucker for those Facebook videos on how guys build stuff. You ever seen those? So, I mean, and they build like really, like they'll take a piece of railroad track and cut it up and grind it into like a throwing hatchet or something. I mean, just like, you never know when you might need one of those. I I just find, I find that there's just some really cool, like a Captain America shield out of like melted down aluminum foil or something. Just amazing, amazing stuff. but. What I quickly realize is that, well, I could never do any of that stuff. And most of the times, those guys that do that kind of stuff, they do have specialized tools, obviously, for the particular job that they're doing. And if you try to do what they do and you don't have those particular tools, well, it would probably be really frustrating for you. Um, I take that idea and apply it to our lives, right, to human life. God gives each of us particular blessings, And if a person takes all of the blessings that they have received, whether they be talents or privilege or opportunity and all of those things that you've been gifted with in your life, you could really leverage those to do some real good. But some people don't. Some people take all of those tools and abilities and skills and blessings and, well, they waste them. And they waste them pursuing things that, well, maybe it's, Drugs or crime or selfishness or just hurting others. And when a human life is used in that way, wasting the blessings that are given to him, well, it's just sad. It's frustrating. You know, the Bible says that to whom much is given, of him shall much be required. And I know that you've thought about this question at some point in your life, so let me just ask you what would you do, don't answer out loud, if you won the mega lottery? I mean, I know you've thought about it, right? I mean, if that happened, that would be much given, would it not? Well, if that happened, would you waste it all just on yourself? Or would you take it and use it to do some real good in this world? And I know what you're thinking, just give me the chance. (laughs) Well, I have some good news for you. Uh, Whether that, you know, the odds of that happening to you are pretty slim, but whether it does or it doesn't. um, As Christians, we have already hit the mega lottery. As Christians, we've already been given so much more than just a lottery win, right? We've been given eternal life. We've been given eternal security. We've been given the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. We've been given God's holy word, and we have been given spiritual gifts particular gifts and abilities, supernatural abilities, to serve Him in this world, amen? Those things give us purpose for life. Those things give us a reason to get out of bed every morning. Those things give us something to live for that's bigger than ourselves. And that's better than any sum of cash that you can get. In the study of 1 Corinthians, we come to chapter 12, and then 13 and 14, And the theme in those chapters is spiritual gifts. And we've been camping here since, well, the turn of this year. Now we're in chapter number 14, and in chapter 14, Paul is clarifying the proper use of one particular gift of the Spirit, and that is speaking in tongues. And he does that because the Corinthian church was using it improperly. So last week, we looked at the first five verses, and we saw that the issue at hand is edifying and that that edifying is not just for the individual who may say they're speaking in a tongue but the edifying is supposed to be for the entire church that's what we saw in other words whenever people speak to you and you understand what is said it's better than when people speak to you and you don't (laughs) we're getting deep today (laughs) So let me ask you a question. Are you going to use what's been given to you? Well, you're going to use it, but are you going to use it just for yourself? Or are you going to use it for some greater good? You see, your life has an intended purpose, and that is the title I'm giving today's message, an intended purpose. And especially those of you who have received Christ as your Savior, after that moment of salvation, your new life in Jesus Christ, most definitely has an intended purpose. And all the spiritual gifts you've received are to help fulfill that intended purpose. The Bible is clearly our owner's manual. It not only gives us the purpose, but it has all the instructions on how we're supposed to live it out. So today we're going to continue in chapter 14, and we're going to be starting in verse number 6, specifically clarifying God's intended purposes. Now there's people who have done cursory readings of the Bible and they come to 1 Corinthians 14 and sometimes they think that it's very deep or it's very difficult to understand this subject. And I want you to understand today that actually it's very simple. And I'm not trying to oversimplify it and I'm not trying to Uh, You know, speak in a way that would be disrespectful to anybody who has found it challenging, I just hope to lend to you today, through the study of God's Word, a very simple understanding. Today's message is very simple. And once you understand it, well, you'll never again be confused about the biblical practice of speaking in tongues. So if you'll follow along, I'm going to read for us, starting in verse 6, and we're going to go all the way through verse 19. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 6. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you, except I shall speak to you either by revelation, or by knowledge, or by prophesying, or by doctrine? And even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Even so ye, forasmuch as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church." Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Else when thou shalt bless with the spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than ye all. Yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Paul really does lay out for us a very clear understanding of the intended purpose. And we're gonna look at this as we jump into our outline before we do let me just pray and make sure the lord is focusing our minds on on this truth heavenly fathers we come before you we do thank you for your word and this truth and we pray that your holy spirit the author of the word and the resident inside of us would be our guide and be our teacher and would give us the understanding today that well you desire for us to have we are gathered together in your church and we are here to gain understanding to learn and to understand and I pray that you would help us do that. That is clearly your will. May we all be edified by what you have here for us and may you help each and every one of us find our intended purpose for life, whatever that may be. It may look a little different for each and every one of us, but the theme will be basically the same. I pray that you turn the lights on and help us to see exactly what you want for us to see. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Okay, the first thing we're going to see is the intended purpose for spiritual gifts. Of course, this is the theme. This is where we're at. We're going to look through verse 12 on this. And if you haven't been with us for the entire study that's been going about 15 months now, the overarching theme of the entire book of 1 Corinthians, we're saying, is the power of community. The idea that the collective is greater than the individual. We is greater than me. And so it is really important that you understand that. And you need to understand, if you haven't been with us and don't already know, that the Corinthian church at this time, they were a particularly selfish church. And they demonstrated that selfishness in many, many areas that Paul addresses throughout this letter of 1 Corinthians. But most certainly it was evident in their use of spiritual gifts. And the way that they were selfishly approaching even the thing that was designed to be selfless. So chapter 14 discusses the spiritual gift of tongues specifically and compares it frequently back and forth to prophecy. And what we saw last week and what we understand is is that prophecy is greater than unknown tongues for the very simple reason that understanding is greater than not understanding. It's just that simple. And so we have seen already, and I put this in your notes, the clearly intended purpose for spiritual gifts is to edify others. That goes back to chapter 12 and verse number 7. It says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. And when we studied that, we saw in detail that that simply means for the common benefit of everybody together. God did not give me my spiritual gift to edify me. He gave me my spiritual gift to edify you, and he gave you your spiritual gift to edify me and the others. And that's the way the Lord put it together, so that we collectively are the body of Christ, the church. Now, that general intended purpose is true of all spiritual gifts, but in this case, we want to look specifically at those that are in the category of the speaking gifts, because some gifts are in the category of speaking, and some are in the category of serving. So the Corinthian believers apparently were all desiring to speak in tongues. And they were desiring to speak in tongues outside of tongues' intended purpose. But it seems as though they really didn't care. And I have to guess, but probably it's because, well, they just liked it. They thought it was cool. I mean, if you think about it, if there were a way that you could get up and not be in control of what's happening, and God miraculously gives you the ability to speak an actual language that you've never studied, I mean, that would kind of be a trip, wouldn't it? I mean, that would be kind of neat. You'd feel like, man, the Lord actually really, this is a fantastic thing. How do I get in on that? That's pretty neat. And I think that that's what's really going on. The problem is, is that they were seeking to all speak in tongues, well, consistent with the theme of the entire book, because, well, they just want to show off. They wanted to show that they could do it too. Look at me. Look at what God's using me to do. And certainly, that's not the right attitude. So in the context of the speaking gifts, Paul instructs the church, and this is letter A in your outline, about the use of of spiritual gifts. And since all spiritual gifts are for the profit of others, certainly the speaking gifts require, if they're going to be profitable for others, that the hearer understands. I mean, that is just basic stuff. Verse number six says, "'Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, "'what shall I profit you?' "'Which is the purpose of spiritual gifts,' except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine. Now, revelation is something God showed me. Knowledge is something I know to be true. Prophesying is something that typically predicts the future. And doctrine is, well, something that's true that comes specifically through the teaching of, of the word of God, all four of which require your understanding. Without your understanding, well, then you don't have any of those things, and what would it profit anybody if somebody got up here and spoke a foreign language? I know a foreign language. I could speak it, but except for my family members, nobody else here would understand it. So that's why the legitimate gift of speaking in tongues, which existed in the first century church, And it was legitimately operational at the time Paul wrote this letter. I'm glad that I speak in tongues more than you all. It literally did exist. But whenever it's presented for us in the Scripture, the legitimate gift of tongues is always coupled together with the gift of interpretation. And that is because of this. Unknown tongues plus interpretation, well, that equals a known tongue. That is an understandable tongue, that is prophecy. Unknown tongues plus interpretation together, well, it takes away the unknown part, right? And it just becomes then preaching. It just becomes the declaration of truth that is understandable. So prophecy is greater than unknown tongues because, well, it's unknown without the interpretation, see? And Paul wants so to hammer home this truth that He points out some illustrations. He says that all sound is intended to be understood. And he illustrates it in various ways. The first one is with inanimate instruments. Inanimate instruments. And he says in verse number 7, And even things without life that give sound. So he talks about pipes and harps. And pipes and harps, we don't need to spend a lot of time looking it up in the Bible, but basically pipes and harps are musical instruments that are used in the Scripture as a calling to rejoice, okay? It says, for example, in Luke 7 and verse 32, we have piped unto you and you have not danced. In other words, we brought the pipes out, it's party time, and we expected that you would have danced, but eh, you didn't respond. In other words, that's what the pipes and the harps were for, So he says, even things without life-giving sound, except they give a distinction in the sounds, every sound has to have a particular distinction. Now, if you spend any time in the Bible, you probably know, and it wouldn't be a surprise to anybody, that music, obviously, was originally created by God. It was created by God for the express purpose of worship. Lucifer was the original worship leader in the third heaven before his sin and his fall and we see that in Ezekiel chapter 28 starting in verse 13 where it says thou hast been in eden the garden of god every precious stone was thy covering the sardis topaz and the diamond the beryl the onyx and the jasper the sapphire the emerald and the carbuncle and gold the workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes there they are was prepared in thee in the day thou wast created Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God, and hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created, till iniquity was found in thee. So God originally designs music, and this being, this amazing being, Lucifer, before he falls and becomes Satan was the anointed cherub that covered the throne of God with the other cherub, and in his very construct of his being were all these beautiful precious stones that were giving out and reflecting God's glorious light, and within his very being somehow was manifested these instruments of music and praise, and we could say that he was the heavenly worship leader. And that was his role, and then when he falls, it should not be a surprise to anybody that, well, among those things that were his specialty in God's glory are now being perverted for the very opposite thing. So the devil is a master at using music to bring people down. He's a master at using wealth and precious things to bring people down, but God intended them all for good. Instruments are an interesting thing because the instrument in of itself, well, it's, a, it's something without life of its own. It only produces the sound based on the input that it's given to it. And so it says, for example, pipes and harps. Now, a piano, for example, I don't know if you ever thought about it, but a piano is a harp that's laying down. And instead of plucking the strings... You know, you hit a key, right, and the hammers, the hammers hit the strings. And it says if the sound doesn't make any sense, so if I were to play you something today and wanted to try and sing a song to you because I feel that God has just moved me so, I love the Lord and I want you to enjoy this wonderful song. It's ridiculous. <laughs> If Halsey came up here, it'd be beautiful. We would rejoice. We would be blessed, right? But he says, look, if the sound doesn't have any distinction, like when I did it, well, you'd be frustrated. And while you're frustrated, I would say, hey, wait a minute. God gave me that song. And then what would you say? (laughs) No, he didn't. (laughs) Yeah, but you can't say that because you don't know me and you don't know my God, and you don't know what he said to me. you're like, well, man, dude, I mean, if that's what you got, I mean, uh, no thanks. (laughs) Right, that's the point. That's what he's trying to say. That's what he's trying to point out, right? He goes on with another instrument. He talks about a trumpet. And a trumpet is a call to battle, right? Uh, It's a military application. So in our military, they, I don't know if they still do, they always had, the bugle or trumpet tune called revelry, that was to wake up in the morning. Uh, If somebody would play the tune taps, that would mean you go to bed at night. Uh, There was particular trumpet calls as they called people to charge out into battle. There was particular trumpet calls that would call people to retreat from battle. And if the trumpet was putting forth the sound with understanding, if there was a clear, distinct plain, sound, given for the intended purpose, Mm -hmm. then the soldiers would understand and they would know exactly what they were supposed to do. Fulfilling the intended purpose. See? It goes on and talks about a variety of voices. In verse number 10, There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification, Well, the word signification, in case you're not familiar, literally just means to be understood. There are many different varieties and kinds of voices in the world. And none of them are intended to not be understood. They are all intended to have signification. That's their intended purpose. So among the different voices that we might find, there could be an angel voice. There was a reference to it in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 1, and that was kind of a unique way it was referred to. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and Paul was kind of using hyperbole there, but nevertheless, throughout the Bible, we do have angels speaking all through the book of Revelation, and I didn't even give you the references. There are so many. You have angels coming and speaking and preaching and declaring things of the end. And in every single instance, whatever they had to say, everybody understood it. Everybody understood it. In fact, one of my all-time favorites, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, speaking of the rapture of the church, it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So here, the voice of God, the voice of the archangel is compared to the voice of a trumpet, interestingly, right? And let me just tell you what's going to happen. When that happens, what's it going to sound like? Well, I don't know that I know exactly what it's going to sound like, but I know this. If you're a truly born-again Christian, you'll understand it. When he cracks that sky and he calls us up and that voice shouts out, come up hither, you're going to go up in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we that are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds, and ever so be with the Lord. That's the rapture of the church. The rest of the unsaved world, when that noise is broadly cast about the face of the whole earth, well, I have a funny feeling it's just going to kind of sound like a trumpet. I don't know if that's true. I think it kind of makes sense. There are other places in the scripture where it talks about God's voice thundering. And I think sometimes that God wants to speak to certain people, and and while it just sounds like a clap of thunder with a thunderstorm, some of his people then at certain times in the Scripture, they understand that was actually God's voice. They understood clearly what he said to them. But God is talking to certain people. He's not talking to everybody. Whatever it is, that angel of the variety of different kinds of voices, well, the intention is the audience understands it. I threw in here, just for fun, animal voices. Okay, I'm not talking about cartoons and roo roo and all that stuff. <laughs> but animals communicate with sounds. And they seem to understand each other okay, and on occasion we might understand them too. And I've got a sweet old dog, and he's 13 years old, and we know each other okay by now. And when he's outside and he wants to come in, he's got a particular bark. And when he barks that bark, I know he wants to come in. It's not the same bark as if the UPS guy drives up. It's not the same bark if there's just a little dog that's irritating him. He's got a particular bark that goes real high at the end that means let me in. You know what, that's interesting because I know that. He could be outside and if I hear him go after, he's, you know, he's barking at somebody. But if I hear him go, you know, then I'm like, oh, he wants to come in. I understand. I speak dog. I'm going to tell you what, that dog intends for me to understand it. Well, then there's human voice, and this is really where we're at, right? So likewise ye, verse 9, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For you'll speak into the air, because the intended purpose of verbal communication is understanding, certainly. Parents know that. (laughs) You ever talk to your kids and they are just not listening? And you're like, hey, look at me. Look at look me in the eyes. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you understand the words coming out of my mouth? And somehow with a glazed look, you know, they know, yeah. And they may or may not. But you think to yourself, you're pulling your hair out, and you're thinking, what is wrong with teenagers? (laughs) And you think to yourself, I feel like I am just casting words into the air. They're not getting it. They're not getting it. Well, that's a great lesson for us all in general. So, great enough that I thought you ought to write it down. Communication doesn't occur until the listener receives what's being said. By the way, that's a a great lesson for you in ministry. Whether you find yourself preaching to a group or witnessing to an individual, you may have in personal evangelism. You have a very clear explanation of the gospel, and to you it's crystal clear, and, and you've done it thoroughly, but you really haven't communicated. If the person hasn't actually received, and I don't mean received the Lord, I mean received the message, if the person hasn't actually understood the message, well, then communication hasn't actually occurred. You're not actually communicating just because you throw stuff out there. You're only communicating when they receive it. You understand? Because otherwise, you're just talking into the air. Um, Among the highly informative bits of information you pick up on Facebook videos was a video sometime back of a village in the country of Turkey where people have a bird language. You see that one? And people whistle. They live, they live in a remote village across mountains. And, you know, there's no cell service out there. So they've got this way, and I wish I could do it. I can't do it. Some guys stick their knuckle in their mouth, and, what, they, go, and they whistle really loud. And, of course, it's a Facebook video, so it must be true. And... <laughs> You know, there, there's this one old lady, you know, washing her clothes on a rock, and she whistles across the mountain to her girlfriend, and she's like, hey, come over for coffee later. And the other is like, whoo, so I'll be there at two, you know, or whatever. <laughs> okay, is that true? I don't know, but I mean, whistling language exists in the world. Uh, there are languages, uh, I, I saw one in South Africa, that that deals with a lot of clicks and pops. People, when they talk, they have these, you know, Things going on, you're like, well, that means something. Okay, to them it means something, right? I mean, I could tell you that in the Albanian language, we use actual words, but uh, they have developed a few things. So like in Albanian, if if you're friendly with somebody, and somebody asks you a very simple question, it's a yes or no question. And if the answer is no, well, in the Albanian language, we have a word for no, but the Albanians don't always choose to use the word for no. Sometimes they'll do this. And so if somebody says, hey, do you want to go to the store? <laughs> well, they're not just, you know, sucking the meat out from between their teeth. <laughs> they're communicating with you and saying, no thanks. You know, they also have cool stuff like when they, if you ask them a question and they want to, and, and their answer is yes, they'll do this. <laughs> that, that's just fun. Okay, so whatever. <laughs> No would be this, by the way, just just for just for fun. Okay, so these are things that these are things that are meant to communicate. Uh, I mean, these are just varieties of voices that are out in the world. Uh, there's just different ways that spiritual gifts are intended to be used, and they're intended to be used for the profit of others. And speaking gifts are for understanding. But let's talk about the abuse of spiritual gifts. The abuse of spiritual gifts. Verse 11. Therefore. If I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Now, I know, you're probably thinking of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Conan, but the idea is a barbarian literally just means a foreigner. And the idea typically is used in the context of somebody less cultured. We we call somebody a barbarian if they have some lower cultural level than we're used to. But truly the meaning that it carries is they are not acquainted with your language. That's really what it means. Somebody's a barbarian. I can't talk to this guy. He's a barbarian. And so if somebody gets up to speak and you can't understand his words, he's like a barbarian to you. You can't understand what he's saying. And you are like a barbarian to him as he's thinking, that guy doesn't even understand what I'm saying. And that's exactly what the Corinthian church was doing. That's exactly what the Corinthian church was doing. That kind of a scenario only leads to frustration. Um, One of my kids growing up, for whatever reason, chose not to use English or Albanian words until the age of two. And and we desperately wished that she would have. But anyway, um, she had her own way of just kind of mumbling and gurgling sounds and in her mind they were crystal clear so she'd come up with to us with something in her hand and she'd be like you know (laughs) and we'd be like speak child come on you what do you want okay so at the end of all this and I could go on and on we were really frustrated because she's old enough and should be able to talk and she could she just liked the dooka dooka thing and she was super frustrated with us because she's, look, I, under- I mean, in her mind, I could see it. She understood what we were saying. What's wrong with you? You don't understand what I'm saying. What's wrong with you people? So, you know, she wanted something and wanted a blanket or whatever. We had her blanket in the dryer and kid can't live without the blanket, you know. And so she runs and gets a little storybook with Mickey and Minnie and she finds Minnie holding the blanket and she's like, taka 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 taka. He's like, ah, oh, okay. Blanky. Yeah. <laughs> <A> barbarian. <laughs> <You're> kidding? <laughs> Why would an adult do that, though, unless they were selfishly motivated? See, the Corinthians, they wanted to all speak in tongues because, well, I don't know, it's just cool. Let's just do it. It's fun. But the abuse of doing such a thing, I want you to understand it's not just an opportunity lost. It's not just that somebody could have understood and, well, they didn't. Well, that's sad. Too bad. The abuse is much worse because the real damage is that a person hearing will conclude that you guys are all barbarians and then leave. Leave and leave Jesus Christ and leave Christianity. And that happens, by the way. People get turned off in churches by things that they don't understand, and they write off the entire experience, and they never return to give it another chance. And that's sad. Don't do that. Verse 16 says, Else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned Say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest. Amen is a term of agreement. People say amen because they agree with what you said. It means so be it. May it be so. So our goal in speaking should be to move people from unlearned to informed. That's the goal, the goal in speaking. Why are you here? You're here to learn something. You're here to be informed about something that you previously had not yet learned. So the room of the unlearned does not necessarily mean the unsaved. It may be, but it may be saved people who are just trying to learn something they haven't learned yet. So he says in verse 12, even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, good for you. you, you desire them, you're zealous of them, good for you, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Not just yourself. It's not about you. Be zealous to serve uh, the Lord with your gifts in his body. That's awesome. Be zealous. But be zealous for the right thing. Be zealous for the thing that edifies the whole church. And so that's what I want to talk about going forward. More about the dynamics of the entire church. So the intended purpose for spiritual gifts, especially the speaking ones, But now let's look at the intended purpose for the Sunday gathering. The Sunday gathering, going from verse 13 down to 19. The first day of the week is Sunday, by the way. It's not Monday. The first day of the week is Sunday. The seventh day of the week is Saturday. In the Old Testament context, the seventh day was the Holy Sabbath. It was Saturday, right? So Sunday is the first day of the week. It is the day that the church is intended to meet together. It's the day that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. It's the day that the early church met together. Let me give you a couple of examples. Acts 20 and verse 7. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. I don't want to hear no complaints about long sermons. 1 Corinthians 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye upon the first day of the week. Let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And in 1 Corinthians 14, the context of what is being addressed is the church gathered together on the first day of the week. So I want you to understand that the intended purpose of the Sunday gathering is really all about communication. That's what it's all about. The intended purpose for what we're doing right here is communication, and that breaks down into three specific ways. The first one is worship. Worship is when we communicate with God. Worship is when we communicate with God. Now, our verbal communication with God is very important. And when we think of that, we most immediately think of prayer as the way that we do that, and that is true. But it's not the only way that we do that, because true worship also is communication With God, while we sing to the Lord, while we had our time of worship and song earlier, hopefully you were able to actually communicate in your spirit with the Lord, singing those words of adoration while He is your audience. That is a form of prayerful communication to the Lord. And the Sunday gathering is a place where that is very, very important. So worship extends beyond just singing songs, we understand that, but singing is a very important element of that, and very legitimate. So worship, then, can be understood as prayer and singing and giving of thanks, the things that are listed in this text. So back to our text in verse 15, it says, What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? So there's no room in here for praying without understanding. There's no room in here for singing without understanding. There's no room in here for blessing and giving of thanks without understanding. So we compare Scripture with Scripture and we land in John chapter 4 and we start in verse 23 where it says, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God wants you to worship Him and if you're going to worship Him, He wants you to do it right. And if you're going to do it right, you can't just do it in spirit without truth and you can't do it in truth without spirit. It has to be with both. Verse 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So, one intended purpose of the Sunday gathering is worship. And the intended purpose of worship is accomplished only when we do it with the spirit and understanding. Or, as in John 4, in spirit and in truth. Because one without the other, well, that's just not good enough. That's just not good enough. But because God seeks such a thing, and because it is a part of the purpose of our Sunday gathering, we absolutely will always set aside time when we gather together to make sure that we worship God together. Yes, you can do it alone. Yes, you can do it on your own. But if you come here to be a part of our services with us, and we're so glad you do, and you just choose not to participate in the worship, you're denying yourself and the Lord one of the intended purposes for this event. Because that's what He intends, so we're going to make it a priority. And even though our worship is primarily our personal communication with God, I can't worship for you. You can't worship for me. I communicate with the Lord when I worship. And even though it's primarily my personal communication with God, there is something very special when we all do it together. Because I lift up my spirit to the Lord in truth and you lift up your spirit to the Lord in truth and something special just happens when we're all doing it together. And when we're all doing it together, it's not just that it is a blessing to the Lord and it's not just that it's a blessing to me, but it's a blessing to others and edifies others who are watching us do it. There's something particularly attractive about spirit-filled Christians together worshiping the Lord, that literally draws other people to want what we have, and that builds them up, and that's edifying. It says in verse seventeen, "For thou verily give us thanks." Well, you can do it alone and in your heart, and okay, great that great that you give thanks, but the other's not edified. The other's not edified. Because true worship communicates not only to God, but it communicates to others also. The next thing I want to see, letter B, is service. Well, that's when we communicate with one another. So if you go and do a little research on the word communicate and its root and where it came from and what it literally means, that word that's translated communicate literally means to share or to be connected with. That same word is also translated in other places in your Bible as fellowship or partakers. So among the intended purposes of the Sunday gathering, there is the breaking of bread, fellowship, serving one another's needs. That's what we saw in Acts 20 and verse 7. Upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread and Paul preached. Another area of service, another area of this communication is financial giving. And that's what we saw quickly in 1 Corinthians 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye upon the first day of the week when you're all gathered together let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him that there be no gatherings when I come. So When we get together as a church, we're breaking bread, we're serving, we're fellowshipping, we're giving so that that can serve one another. And biblically comparing Scripture with Scripture, we see that giving is a form of communication. Financial giving is a form of communication. It's it's God's way of saying, put your money where your mouth is. So in Philippians chapter 4, and verse 14, it says, Paul is speaking to the Philippian church. Notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. So this is a church giving a missionary offering to the missionary, the Apostle Paul and they would gather it as he gives order every Sunday regularly and lay it aside so that when Paul shows up, they don't need to do something special. They already have it laid aside, and they have the ability to do it. And he says, wow, while I was on the road, and Philippi is a city in Macedonia, and Paul's on the road, and he's like, man, everybody forgot about me, and that's fine because I know how to abound, and I know how to be a base, and I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. And I'm not looking for the gift, I'm looking for the the goods that go to your account as a result of your faithful giving. But let me just tell you something, thank you. Thank you for communicating with my affliction. And you communicated with me because you sent me some money when I needed it. You sent me some money when I needed it. And so the Sunday gathering is all about communication. We're communicating with God in worship, but we're communicating with with one another, and that comes in the form of breaking of bread and areas of service and financial giving. And so on a Sunday morning service, we have an opportunity for many people to serve in many different capacities. And we have the opportunity for you to give financially, because that's what the Lord wants. And it's only right that we give you the opportunity to do that sort of thing. And last, but certainly not least, is letter C, instruction. Instruction is very important. God communicating with us. So in verse 13, Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. That gives the understanding, right? Verse 18 and 19, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than ye all. Yet in the church, here's the context, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. So certainly the legitimate gift of tongues was in operation when Paul wrote this. Certainly Paul had the gift, but God's math says that 5 is greater than 10,000. And he says that 5 is greater than 10,000 because really 10,000 is greater than 5, but understanding is so much greater than no understanding that it trumps the 10,000 over 5. So 5 with understanding is greater than 10,000 without understanding, and that's what he wants us to understand. So knowing that truth and yet still continuing to speak more in tongues would be like somebody in manufacturing who's losing money on a particular product, and in order to make up the money, they just ramp up production. (laughs) Now, if you know anything about manufacturing, you know that ain't the way to make money. You're just going to lose it faster. So it, you're not doing good with what you're doing on a small scale. I know, let's do it on a big scale. And that's what the Corinthian church was doing. In fact, this is so important, I believe, and therefore I put it in your notes so you can remember, the single most important intended purpose of the Sunday gathering is instruction. Why would you say such a thing? Well, I believe the Lord says that. 1 Corinthians 12:28 says, and God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles, gifts of healing, helps governments, diversities of tongues. And because without proper instruction, you can't worship in the truth. And because without proper instruction, you can't serve biblically, it's most important that you get proper instruction. So God sets some gifts in an order of importance we saw this when we studied that passage first were apostles well that's a temporary gift for us today it's gone secondarily the office of a prophet well that was a temporary gift and for us today well that's already gone thirdly teachers well that one's remaining that one's permanent so thirdly moves now to the top of the list as the single best gift and in 1231 it says covet the best gifts well that would be teaching The idea is this. The primary purpose of the gathering of the church on Sunday is to instruct and to edify. So that's why we do so much of it around here. It comes through the study of his word. That's how he talks to us today. When we meet on Sunday, it's so that we can train you so that you can go out of here and serve the Lord, evangelize, make disciples, serve all the other days of the week, right? And let me just tell you, That ain't happening if you're not understanding. It's not happening. You're not going to understand what I say. I could stand up here and I could really plead with you in the Albanian language and you'll be like, whatever, don't get it. And yet, oddly, I can do it in English and there are those who will sit here and be like, whatever, I don't get it. Okay, well, that's on you. We're speaking English. (laughs) But that's why Jesus Christ gave gifts to the church. He did that for that very reason. Ephesians 4 says in verse 11, He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's what he did. And so in the first century, the gift of tongues was still active before the New Testament was complete. It was never intended to be used in a way that did not also edify the entire body and I don't care what you think your understanding of verse number four is of this chapter it is not designed to edify yourself I don't care what you think your understanding of first Corinthians 13 one is or chapter 14 and verse 14 is it's not a private prayer language and verse 13 makes it clear it is not to be used without interpretation because that would contradict the intended purpose that God clear, clearly gave for all spiritual gifts. Kapish? Entienden? Amo <laughs> Okay, look, it's the same if you understand that. Which is why we'll jump ahead for just a second for emphasis and we're done. To ver- Flip the page to verse 27, 28. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and not to God. You may think you're doing whatever it is you think you're doing, but when we're all together, just keep it to yourself because you are violating God's intended purpose for every gift, including the gift of tongues, which cannot be a stand-alone without interpretation. God is the great creator. He's the great designer. He's a God of order and a God of meaning. Every single thing he does, he does with an intended purpose, and everything works best when it's used according to its intended purpose. So spiritual gifts are intended for others' profit, and the speaking gifts are intended for edification. And the Sunday gathering is intended for instruction, which cannot take place if you don't understand what's being taught or prayed or sung. The real question is, do you understand this today? Because you can only apply it if you do. And God's intention for you to understand, my friends, is not solely so that you can say, oh, I understand, but that that understanding rolls into application and it actually changes your behavior. So my question for you as we wrap this up today is what is God showing you to apply in your life today based upon your new understanding? Maybe you're here and this is your first time or maybe somebody invited you or maybe you've just never truly understood this whole Jesus and Bible thing and maybe this conversation was a little heady for you and not your area or whatever but maybe you've come to the conclusion that you know what I I really need to know more about this thing about salvation I I don't know that if I died I'd have eternal life listen the greatest thing you must understand is the simplest thing to understand and that's God loves you with his whole heart so much so that he sent his only begotten son to die in your place And that you're a sinner and you're headed the wrong direction like all of us. But Jesus Christ died so that you don't have to. And he paid the penalty for you. And all you have to do is receive that free gift of his death on the cross and his shed blood for you to pay the penalty of your sin. And he will give you the free gift of eternal life. He promised us and he cannot lie. Maybe that's your understanding today. Maybe that's the thing you need to apply. Maybe you need to humble yourself once and for all and surrender your life and ask Jesus Christ to save you. Now, most of us have already done that. Most of you already know that you've done that. But let me just ask you this, and we're done. Are you actively, Christian, seeking to use your spiritual gifts in the manner for which they were intended? Are you using them to edify and build the body of Christ? Because that's what he intends for you. So if you find yourself kind of a sidelined Christian, if you find yourself just kind of sitting on the fringes and you know there's some sin in your life, you need to take care of that. Maybe if you just find yourself lazy or complacent or keeping an arm's distance, I've been burned before. I don't know what your situation is. Life happens to all of us. Whatever that situation, if the Lord is giving you understanding that it's time to make a change, can I invite you to make that change today? Because we are here to learn what God has to say so that we can know how we can live according to the owner's manual, which brings us the most joy and reward. So let's pray together and we'll be done. Heavenly.